My name is Boaz, and I'm the worship pastor here at One Hope Baptist Church. Um, can you believe that it's only just a few more weeks until it's Christmas? And I thought that before things get a little bit too busy for all of us, that it might be great if we just took a few moments to stop and reflect and really realize that Jesus' birth all those years ago changed everything. After all, even the fact that we celebrate Christmas speaks of how significant his life was. But before we do, let me start by taking you back to 2018. It was in June of 2018 when a Thai soccer team of boys were trapped in a cave. Um, most of you probably know what happened, but for those of you who don't or may have forgotten, let me just recap some of the key events that took place. In 2018, this Thai soccer team of boys and their coach were trapped in a cave when a monsoon flood, a flood came in and just trapped them in, inside this cave. It was eventually some 10 days later when they were found, discovered about four kilometers deep into this cave. But to rescue them, would require skilled cave divers to navigate through tight and extremely muddy waters to get to them. And thankfully, these boys and their coach were saved, all because of the, the bravery of these cave divers. And rightfully, after the whole ordeal, the cave divers were honored and decorated for their incredible courage and bravery. But imagine if they weren't. Imagine if these cave divers who risked everything to put their lives on the line to save people who were virtually strangers to them, imagine if they were forgotten. They were cast aside. They were taken for granted. Imagine if these cave divers were ignored as the people celebrated and decorated the bravery of these young boys for, for having survived the whole ordeal with no mention of these cave divers, how would you feel? I think most of us, if not all of us, would probably feel a sense of injustice, a sense of it being wrong, because we know when someone is due the credit and the recognition that is rightfully theirs for something they've done, something they deserve, it's only right that we give that to them, that we honor them, that we credit them with it. Or what if I told you that sometimes we do the same thing to God? That sometimes we forget God for what He's done for us, we don't, we don't give him the credit and the recognition that is rightfully his. We forget, we, we cast him aside and we take him for granted. And the Bible tells us numerous times that not only is God the creator of all the things that we see, God is the king. In Psalm 47 verse 6, it reads, sing praises to our king, sing praises, for God is the king of all the earth. Sing to him a psalm of praise. God reigns over the nation. He is seated on his holy throne. 
And in fact, the psalmist is telling us, if not for any other reason, sing praises to God because He is the King of all the earth. And just as how you would give the praise and recognition and the respect to any human king, how much more should we give God, who is King of all the earth, the respect and recognition that He rightfully deserves? And maybe there's some of us here tonight who, if we really asked you whether you truthfully knew what worship is all about, you might say, honestly, I, I don't really know. I don't really know what worship is. Is it the singing of the songs like we just did? Is, is it the raising of our hands that makes worship worship? Or perhaps it's a gathering like this on a Sunday. Is that what worship is all about? Well, I'm glad that you're here tonight because in our time together and as we approach this Christmas season where Jesus is born as the King, let's take a few moments to look at what the Bible has to say about worship. And there's certainly a lot of different aspects to what worship is and we could spend the whole night talking about it. But in the brief time that we have, Let's look at the key aspect of what Jesus had to say about worship. Today we turn our attention to the book of John, chapter 4. And here Jesus is found in a, uh, in a region called Samaria. And he goes to this well and meets with this Samaritan woman. And there they begin to converse. And Jesus tells her that you have had five husbands. And the man that you're with now, he isn't actually your husband. And so this leads the woman to perceive that Jesus is some sort of a prophet and so asks him about worship. And so part of Jesus' response comes here in verse 23. And it reads, But the hour is coming, and it's now here when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship Him in spirit and truth. Now, I've read from the ESV Bible here, the new, um, the, the English Standard Version, because I think it best captures the nuance and the color of the original Greek text. In the NIV, the New International Version, and the NLT, they render this phrase as to worship in the spirit and in truth. But the ESV renders it in spirit and truth, which emphasizes that these two things, in spirit and truth, they're seen together as one. They're the one thing. And it's just like a coin. Now, we've all seen a coin, haven't we? And you know that a coin has two faces to it. You have this face, which is really distinct from that face. And you can tell them apart. You can look at the features and identify it. Yeah, they've got different things on it. But you wouldn't divide these two faces, would you? Because to do so would not make this a coin any longer. No, these two things come together to make up the one coin. And in the same way, when it comes to worship, Jesus is telling us, that it makes up in spirit and truth to make up the one thing. But why? 
Why does Jesus tell us that when it comes to worshiping God, you must have these two things together as one? Well, I think the answer is really quite simple. It's that when you have these two things together in spirit and truth, and as you worship God, you get a beautiful picture of what an authentic worshiper looks like. And we're going to see what those things are. Let's identify what these two elements are when it comes to worshiping God. So if you're taking notes, it's important to, to understand that when it comes to worshiping God in spirit, that it points to the unnatural. It points to something not of our natural world. One of the best pieces of advice that I received when I was studying in Bible school was that whenever you're reading your Bible, the primary context always carries the greatest weight. And so when we come to a phrase like this, to worship in spirit and truth, we need to look at the immediate context to understand what it means. And we see that this phrase appears in two verses, in verses 23 and 24. But sandwiched right down the middle is this oddly placed description of what God is. Jesus says that God is spirit. Why does Jesus have to say that? Why does he have to mention it? Is it going to help us with understanding this? Well, I think it does. Let me illustrate it this way. Imagine you're at home one evening and you're there with your spouse and, and you're watching a movie together. And perhaps you have your kids sitting there with you enjoying the show and it's cold, it's late at night, so you might have a, a blanket on. And you have maybe a couple of pets. You have a dog there, and I, I don't know why, but you might have a cat there as well. Um, and there you're all sitting there together as a family watching this movie, it's great. When suddenly, the lights go out. It's pitch black. You can't see a thing. And so you want to find out what the problem is. You stand up, you take a step forward, and as you do, you trip over something that you felt was soft and, and warm, but you're not quite sure what it is. Now, depending on what this thing is, determines the way that you respond to it. For instance, if you tripped over your spouse or one of your kids, you might go, oh, uh, who was that? Are, are you all right? Are you, uh, are you okay? Is, is anything broken? You, you, you talk to them, wouldn't you? But if you tripped over your dog, you might have heard the dog yelp out and, and you're like, oh, come here, boy, come here. Are you okay? And then you, you sort of give it a little pat just to make sure it's okay. If you tripped over your cat, hmm. Oh, man. <laughs> it's a joke. Come on. <laughs> but if you tripped, thank you, if you tripped over your, uh, your, the blanket that you had on, or maybe a, a jumper that you had on the floor, you pick it up and you just toss it aside without a second thought. Because depending on what this thing is, determines the way that you respond to it. Similarly, depending on what God is, determines the way that we respond to Him, that we interact with Him. And so Jesus is telling us that God is spirit, which means that God, He's telling us, 
is invisible as opposed to what we can see and what we can feel and hear. He's telling us that God is divine as opposed to us human beings, limited and finite as we are. He's telling us that God is effectively unknowable unless he chooses to reveal himself to us. In other words, God is beyond us. We cannot contain him. God is not flesh and blood like we are. No, he is completely unlike us. And so when it comes to worshiping God, we need to start with the understanding that God is nothing like us. And that when we worship him, we're stepping into a realm completely out of our depth, totally foreign to anything that we can do and that we can comprehend. He's unlike us in, in every way. And if you know what came in the chapter before this, in John chapter 3, you know that this was what Jesus and Nicodemus were talking about. Nicodemus being a Jewish teacher, a Jewish Pharisee. In John chapter 3, Jesus was explaining to Nicodemus that if you want to see the kingdom of God, you must be born again. Nicodemus is saying, what? What does that even mean? Be born again. And so Jesus replies in verse 5 of John chapter 3, Very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they're born of water and the Spirit. And verse 6, flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. And in verse 8, the wind blows wherever it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. In other words, just as how the wind blows and, and moves as however it wishes, with no command or direction from you, so it is with the Spirit of God who moves and works as he chooses to give life as he determines. He's beyond us, and he works in ways not of our natural world. And so if God is spirit, and if what Jesus said is right, that if true, if, as true worshipers, we must worship him in spirit and truth, then we need the Spirit's help here. We need the Spirit's help to bridge this divide between us and God so that we can come before Him and worship Him the way that God needs to be worshipped. And so the first thing to note is that when we come to worship in spirit, it points to the unnatural. And secondly, when we worship God in truth, it points to Jesus, the Son of God. Now, I have to quickly say that when it comes to worshiping God in truth, yes, it does mean that we ground our worship on the truth of the, from the Word of God, the Bible. Yes, it certainly means that. But let me take it one step further and show you that worshiping Him in truth also points to Jesus, the Son of God. When someone comes from somewhere, they can tell you what that place is like. Because I was born in Singapore and have been there numerous times before, I can tell you what Singapore is like. I can tell you that it's hot and, and humid. Uh, they've got a fantastic 
public transport system there with many buses and trains and taxis. They've got um, relatively inexpensive food. You can get a proper meal for five bucks, six bucks, easy. I can tell you what Singapore is like because I've been there myself. Jesus tells us many times in the Bible that he can tell us what heaven is like and what life beyond this life is like because he's been there. He's been in the Father's presence, God the Father's presence, and now he can tell us what he saw. In John chapter 8, Jesus is talking to a group of Jews who insist that they've never been enslaved before. And Jesus tells them in verse 34 of John chapter 8, that very truly I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. And then Jesus goes on to explain, look, even though you might have sinned, let me tell you something. Let me tell you the truth of what I saw. I saw that whoever the Son of God frees, it's a song we sung earlier, he is free indeed. I can tell you this because verse, verse 38, he says, I've seen this in the Father's presence. I can affirm this, that this is true because I've seen it with my very own eyes. Believe the truth that I, that I speak to you. And not only does Jesus reveal the truth, Jesus tells us that he is the truth. In John chapter 14, verse 6, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. In other words, Jesus is saying, I'm the one who will make all this possible. I'm the one who will give you this new life in God. I'm the one through my life that will change everything, through my ministry, through my death and resurrection on the cross. And you know what happened when he died on the cross, don't you? For those of you who know, what happened to that veil in the temple of God, the veil that separated the holiness of God from the rest of the world, the moment Jesus died, that veil was torn into two. And now suddenly, the landscape of us coming before God had changed completely because of the ministry of Jesus here on earth. He has made it all possible. He's saying, I am the truth. And remember what happened when Jesus left earth in the book of Acts. We see all throughout the book of Acts the Holy Spirit being poured out as a result of Jesus' life and ministry here on earth. And Jesus actually tells us this in John chapter 14, verse 16. He says, after I leave, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. Who's this advocate? The Spirit of truth. And remember, this is the same spirit that we were talking about earlier. The same spirit who would bridge this divide between us and God, who would change us and transform us and give us this new life in Him. Can you see that it's all connected? When it comes to worshiping God in spirit and truth, it's all seen as one, the same spirit who gives you, the, you, gives you this new life that we can come before God. It comes as a result of Jesus who made it all possible. How wonderful. Most of you are probably just staring at me right now. Great, but what do I do with this? 
Good question. Jesus actually helps us in showing us and telling us what this is supposed to look like. If we go back again to John chapter 14, but we go back one verse to verse 15, look at what Jesus says. He says, if you love me, or in other words, if you adore me, if you worship me, keep my commands. And we just read this, and I will, ask the, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you. To help you do what? To help you keep his commands. And he will be with you forever, the spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor know him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. When the spirit gives you this new life, he empowers you with this unnatural ability to keep Jesus' commands, to follow his teachings. And maybe some of you are thinking, what are these commands? What are these teachings, Boaz? Well, Jesus certainly taught a lot, didn't he? We have a whole lot of teachings in the gospel that we can look at, but Jesus just simplifies it to just two simple commands. And you probably know this already. In Mark chapter 12, verse 30, the first command is to love the Lord your God with all that you have. And then secondly, to love your neighbor as yourself. So simply put, church, when it comes to worshiping God in spirit and truth, it's a life that's been transformed by Jesus through the power and the life that comes from the Holy Spirit to love God and to love people. So what can we do with this? What can we do as we, as we leave tonight and go back into our worlds? What, what are some things that we can do? Well, let me suggest two really simple points of applications, just two simple things containing two words. The first one is this, start small. Start small. And maybe some of us just need to start with the small step of asking the Holy Spirit to come and give us this new life in Him, to do the work that only He can do in our lives. Or perhaps some of us need to start small by loving God again. That might be in the way that we faithfully give of our tithes, or it's in the way that we give in the best time of our day to Him. And start small by giving him five minutes, two minutes. Start small. Or perhaps you need to start small by honoring him once more, to thank him for what he's done in your life. Because when was the last time you thanked him for something? One year when Christmas Day fell on Sunday, a farmer decided to go to church. Like some people, he thought he was fulfilling his religious obligation by going to church twice a year on Christmas Day and Easter. The sermon that day was preached from Isaiah 1, verse 3, and it reads, The ox knows its master, and the donkey its owner's manger, but Israel does not know. My people do not understand. Isaiah is saying that unlike animals, God Sorry, man does not recognize who is loved and taken care of them. 
After church, the farmer returned home and stood among his cows. And one of these cows began to lick his hand. A practical demonstration of the verse from Isaiah he had just heard. Strong man though he was, the the farmer began to weep as he thought, God did so much for me. And yet I never thanked him. My cow is far more grateful than I am. But what did I ever give her other than grass and water? What more has God given you other than the food you eat and the water you drink? If you don't know how to start, start small. If you don't know where to start, start by thanking Him, even right now, in your heart, because there's so many reasons to thank Him. And maybe some of us need to start by thanking Him in the way that we love those around us. Look for opportunities to serve. Look for ways where we can encourage one another. For those who serve behind the scenes, those who clean up after you, those who serve you at at restaurants, find ways where you can shout someone a meal. Start small with a coffee. Start small in the way that you love others around you. And secondly, start now. Start now. Not tomorrow. Not next week. No, start now. Start today. Because chances are God has already placed it in your heart to do something. Perhaps he's been, he's been tugging on your heart to open your Bibles again and to read it once more. And remember, start small. Two verses. One verse. Maybe he's already been prompting you to respond to him, to open your heart to him, to invite the Holy Spirit in, to do his work in your life that only he can do. Whatever it is, can I encourage you, church, to start now, to start small. As we begin to roll into this Christmas season, let me close with this story. Johnny Erickson Tada, had a terrible accident that left her quadriplegic, paralyzed from the shoulder down. In spite of her physical limitations, she became quite an accomplished author and artist. In 1982, she married her husband, Ken, and for her wedding, she had planned to come down the center aisle in her motorized wheelchair. But just before her grand entrance, she noticed two distressing problems. First, she had rolled over her beautiful gown and made a big grease spot in it and and a tear as well. And then the flowers that were on her lap, they slipped and lodged between her leg and the chair. She was filled with disappointment. And then suddenly the doors to the auditorium opened and she saw her husband-to-be. He was the man who was committing his love and his life to her. And Johnny later said, and once I saw Ken's face, all I could think of was him. Everything else, the people in the church, the flowers that were sitting a little askew on my lap, the fact that my dress didn't fall right because I was sitting in a wheelchair, 
the grease marks, the rip in my gown, all of it pales in comparison. Who are you looking at today, church? Who is your Lord and King? When it comes down to it, who are you living for? Jesus, the Son of God, came as a baby to give his life for you and for me. And as a result of Jesus' sacrifice and ministry on here on earth, the Holy Spirit now works in our midst to give us this new life so that we can live just as Jesus lived. And so can I encourage you that wherever you find yourself today, to remember that, this, that because God is king and that he deserves our praise and our worship, remember that worship, we must worship him in spirit and truth. But we cannot do it on our own. But with the Spirit's help, we can do it in such a way where we love the Lord our God with all that we have. And we can love each other just as Jesus did. Father, we thank you for tonight. We thank you for your word that's ever so true and ever so powerful. Lord God, I thank you, Lord God, for this time that we've had together where we can hear and and. and understand your word. Lord God, we pray that your spirit will begin your work in our lives. Change us, mold us, and make us to be more like Jesus. And won't you help us to be able to come before you, to give you the praise and the honor and the recognition that is rightfully yours, that we can learn what it means to worship you in spirit and truth. We thank you once again for the gift that is Jesus Christ. We pray that we will, that will not be lost on us, but we will learn to live a life that honors you and pleases you for the glory of your name. We pray all this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen.